David Eichel here, HawkeyeInsider.com. Please be joined, as always, by Sean Bach. Sean, a completely different Iowa team showed up today uh, during their 49-7 to win. And something that I don't think anybody really saw coming, I think we would anticipate that Iowa would come out with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, maybe play a little bit more pissed off than they have recently. But, I mean, they just, you know, flat out dominated all three phases of the game. Uh, I think Tory Taylor is going to be a front runner for the Ray Guy Award, even though he's never seen or played American football until this year, uh, which is something to marvel at. But, Sean, we have plenty to get into, but uh, how are you? Doing well, Dave. Can't complain. Um, you know, it's been kind of a chill 24 hours. Obviously, last night I went to a high school game. Um, that was fun. That was good. I came back, wanted to just sit down, relax after a long week, but someone was in my dang parking spot. So I, I had to worry about that. Yeah, and I still haven't really worried about it, so I just parked somewhere else, and <laughs> I'm kind of pushing that off. That's a future Sean problem. But, you know, I mean, it was it was good. I mean, covering a winning team is always nicer, a team that wins, um, and especially in the way they did so, it made our jobs a little bit easier because you kind of knew the outcome, and you kind of had stuff to write about before the game ended. So, you know, I'm doing I'm doing just fine. Yeah, you know, Sean, really diving into detail. I know Iowa, I think there was a little bit of a different tune. Let's just start right from the beginning. I mean, Iowa has looked pretty flat for the most part uh, on their opening drives this season. Yeah, there was the muffed punt last week that led to, uh, obviously, Spencer Petrus' first career touchdown pass. But this is a completely different team right from the get-go. Uh, Petrus led the team with confidence and I think for all the criticism that I gave and a lot of others gave Brian Ferentz last week, I think that especially on the first two drives for Iowa, I think they called an excellent scheme of plays, a great balance of running and passing, put the players in a position to succeed. And despite having no Emir Smith-Marset, there was a lot of creativity with the play calling. And I think we really saw the emergence of uh, Charlie Jones, who's been praised throughout the offseason. I mean, it was kind of really – it's kind of weird to think about, Sean, but he's a wide receiver, led the game in all-purpose yards, and didn't have a single reception, uh, but made plays in the part return game and in the rushing game. Uh, but I think the biggest thing for me, Sean, that I realized after the first half especially, Iowa has had an identity on offense. That's something that they've completely lacked over the first two games. But there's a lot of confidence. Spencer Petras didn't look like he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. The, the offensive line was tremendous, I thought, even without Kyler Shaw and Coy Kronk. And the team just looked really, really comfortable. Yeah, no, they definitely did. Um, you brought up a good point And just, like, looking established on the first drive, I was waiting for Brian Ferentz to kind of look up at – I don't know, the press box or like some of the fans, even though it's only parents there and kind of put his finger over mouth shushing, shushing everyone because <laughs> that that first drive, man, like after that you were kind of thinking, I mean, you thought back to last week against Northwest or against, yeah, Northwestern where Iowa got the turnover, had the, um, had the muff punt and they got really good field position and then threw that corner fade to Brandon Smith similar to what happened in this game today. And you're kind of like, okay, like we saw that last week a little bit. Like that's promising. And then Iowa gets a stop on the next drive defensively and then does the same thing again with the offense, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they really just like from the get-go, you're kind of like, okay, like Iowa's not – they're not messing around. And I think what was so important about that too was just 
making sure that you establish the run right off the gate. Because, I mean, Brian Ferentz has said it before. Kirk Ferentz has said it. Players have said it, that it starts with a run game up front. And I think the same thing goes with the offensive line as well. They were absolutely fantastic today. I thought Cody Ince did a great job. I think Alaric Jackson probably had, from my, in my opinion, probably his best game um, ever since he got hurt last year against Miami, mm-hmm. Ohio in the season opener. He really dominated, and I think he, too, he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because of the whole Michigan State recruiting thing. Obviously, he's a Michigan guy. Um, I think Sparty – did Sparty offer him, or they just, like, waited way too long to offer him? I believe they, they offered him, but it was, it was a little bit late. So I think there was an extra chip on his shoulder going into today's game. But if I remember yeah. correctly, he was offered, but it was much later in the process than he would have liked. Right. So, I mean, there was a lot that, I mean, obviously Alaric was playing for, and then Iowa, man, just shoved it right down Michigan State's throats. And you saw it with defense, too. I thought the defensive line did a fantastic job yes. in exposing Michigan State's offensive line. Obviously, they looked better against Michigan but I think maybe we put a little bit too much stock in that Michigan game, considering what the, how the Wolverines played this past week or this today against Indiana. Obviously, Indiana a good team, but Michigan really didn't look that good and hasn't looked that good this season. So, hey, top I mean, all ten, in all, who's your team, Sean? Probably yeah, by next week. Top ten, who's your team? Big Ten East, baby. So, I think Iowa. I mean, you don't want to take anything away from Iowa because I thought they were absolutely fantastic um, in terms of just like just establishing themselves right off the get-go the mm-hmm. defensive line I thought was really good like we heard Davion Nixon's name a few times but I mean Zach Van Valkenburg had a great play at I don't remember which driver was where he blew up a sweep um he had a great almost near sack he had another big tackle for a loss if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. um trying to think who else was Chauncey really... Golston had his best game I thought of the season yeah Chauncey Golston one and a half sacks two tackles for a loss um Seth Benson I thought was really good in coverage Dane Belton had a big big play there and later in the game mm-hmm. um obviously the three interceptions I mean Riley Moss is was kind of a gift but I mean Matt Hankins and Jack Kerner both had big plays so yeah there was just a lot clicking I thought really right I think just the pressure that Iowa got they got to Rocky Lombardi obviously Lombardi's like kind of mobile but I mean he's not going to beat you with your feet and I thought since they made him really rush and hurry that he was kind of forcing throws and really didn't have that many completions that were like what you were like, okay, like that's a good, that's a good pass. Like that's a good gain, except for that one where he passed it to Naylor um, where Moss got beat. But I mean, I just thought the Iowa, this was just a perfect, like not a perfect game, but I thought up and down the lineup, I mean, offense, defense, special teams, like you couldn't have asked for much more. I mean, obviously Petrus, Petrus could have made a couple more throws or, could have maybe took some heat off some balls, but I thought overall, I think everything was kind of clicking for Iowa today. And I think that just shows you what kind of team they can be. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head, Sean. I mean, it was pretty dominant in all three phases. Let's kind of break it down a little bit more, starting as special teams. And uh, it's kind of interesting that we're talking about special teams and how great they played, Sean, but Keith Duncan missed his only field goal attempts. Uh, and that's no slight against Keith Duncan. I mean, he's as reliable as they come across college football. But Charlie Jones has just been absolute revelation, I think, for Iowa's punt return game. And I was going through some post-game notes, Sean, and it, it really is pretty staggering. So all of last season, Iowa returned 15 punts for a total of 121 yards, eight yards return. Today alone, Jones had 105 punt return yards on five returns, and he had the touchdown. 
I mean, that is just insane to me. And Tory Taylor, again, I mentioned him in my opening. He might be, and it sounds absolutely crazy, he might be one of the best punters in the nation. I mean, he was just so dang consistent. Six punts, five of them went inside the 20-yard line. I think three of them went inside the 10-yard line, two of them inside the five-yard line. And he only, I, I say only, he only averaged 46 yards of punt, Sean. But remember, on two of those, they were pretty short field, and he just got him in the corner and got him pinned inside the 20-yard line. I mean, what a find for LeVar Woods and for, and for Kirk Ferentz. I mean, it, it's absolutely game-changing for Iowa when they can win the field position battle. And I think that's something that uh, we definitely saw on Saturday. By the way, it was seven punts, not six, so my mistake on that. But if I'm not mistaken, too, Sean, I I think Michigan State started their average drive was on their uh, own 20-yard line. Iowa started on its own 46 in today's game. I mean, just a field position battle. And that's not taking anything away from Iowa's offense, but definitely makes Iowa's job a little bit easier and makes life a lot harder uh, for Rocky Lombardi and his squad. Definitely. I mean, flipping the field, we've, we've seen it covering Iowa the past few years and Iowa fans have seen it. Um, long, I mean, as long as like far back that punting is so important when it comes to games. And when you got a team, when you got an offense that relies more on the run, obviously you're not going to get many of those or as many um, as those kind of touch or not. Like I would say you get more punts than most people. And especially mm-hmm. like with the smash mouth type defense that they play. Um, it's even more important. You kind of notice those things more. And I think Iowa fans are just like built like that. Um, and like, we've seen it too. Like we've paid really close attention to it, that how important punting is and just being able to flip the field because not only does it like, not only does it give you more of advantage as a defense, but also it like makes kind of the offense kind of change their game plan a little bit. Like in terms of like, hey, you punt it inside like the ten or five yard line. Like you're not gonna throw the ball out of the shotgun, or you're not gonna um, run really a play action pass because like there's a chance that you get sacked. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just so important for Iowa to have that sort of punting and um, just any team in general because we saw what it did in this game too. I mean, Michigan State's punter did not have the best day. Um, was it like he punt? He had, or they put, they had two punters in the game actually. So they only one of their punts was inside the 20 and a punt that was longer than 50 yards. Yeah. So I think overall, like, I mean, obviously punting is not the whole, the whole story of the game, but I think it definitely played a big indicator in, um, Iowa kind of ruining or not ruining, but kind of limiting Michigan State any momentum that they might have had because once you get set back more yards than you expected, then you're kind of thinking to yourself, like, oh, it, crap, like, here yeah. we go. It's kind of crazy too, Sean, but it's kind of worth noting. I mean, we're talking about Iowa's punting game when they won 49-7. to But, I mean, that really is how compelling it was, and that's how good Tory Taylor has been this season. Uh, so, Sean, I want to ask you, but I'll give you a second to think about, what was the most – like the play where you realize that that was probably one of the biggest plays of the game. That's what this Iowa team wanted to be all about today. I can think of two specifically, and I'll give you my two real quick. I'll give you a second. Think about number one was Charlie Jones's punt return. I think that the way that Iowa had just kind of responded uh, 
just he, he kind of been close to breaking one. You kind of had the feeling he was going to, and he finally broke it off. Justin Jacobs, despite not getting a lot of linebacker snaps today, he pancaked the punter, which gave Jones that last little burst. It was a tremendous block. Julius Brents also had a tremendous block, which I think – not on that one, but on a different punt return where they called a block in the back or a blindside block. It was absolutely an atrocious call. The official was not even looking at Brents. He only looked over after Brents was already on top of him. Anyway, I digress. But the other play, Sean, that stuck out to me was Iowa's first play of the second half when Tyler Goodson took the ball uh, 71 yards up the middle, was tackled at the 40-yard line. He was really mad post-game, by the way. He really felt that he should have been able to finish the run. Uh, But Michigan State's got some fast guys, and I don't think Tyler Goodson by any means is a slow player. Um, But let me tell you this, too, that stuck out to me, uh, just about Iowa's running game. Sean, it's crazy to think about this, but Tyler Goodson's run – 71-yard run was the longest rushing play Iowa has had since their season finale, regular season finale in 2016 when Akram Wadley broke a 75-yard touchdown. That's how long it has been since Iowa has had that just dynamic play out of the backfield. I mean, there's been a handful of, you know, 40, 50 yards, but there hasn't been like a 70, 80-yard one. And that play, just Iowa coming strong out of the gates in the second half when all we've written about them for the past two weeks was how bad they've been in the second halves. Iowa's touchdown today, Sean, was the first third-quarter touchdown they have had in seven Big Ten games. I mean, that, yeah. that's an absolutely crazy stat. And I think them coming strong out of the gates in the second half after hearing about it nonstop, I think it was a big deal for this team to come out and do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Um, I see no wrongs with that one. Um, I was gonna go. I was gonna go with the Goodson one as well because, if I'm not mistaken, that was the drive that, that was, per- before or that was after Michigan State's touchdown drive. Introducing the Two Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Correct. correct yeah yeah yeah. that's correct that's the first play in response to that right so even like I mean you talked about it like just Iowa's first play of the half but also like I know Iowa was up big 35 or 35 7 yep. yeah 35 7 at the time I know they were up big but still I mean we've seen in the past couple of games like Iowa had that lead against Northwestern coughed it up Iowa had the lead against Purdue coughed it up and they just found a way to establish themselves again. And I think it starts with the run game, like you said, just how dominant they were um, in that sense. So for my – I did you fin- did you go with all your picks yet? Yeah, those are my two plays, I thought. I, I thought it was the punt return touchdown, and I thought it was Tyler Goodson's 71-yard run. I think those two plays alone really established what Iowa wanted to be about today. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Um. I'm going to try and think of one. While you think about it, let me say this too, Sean. I didn't get 
I didn't get catch this when uh, it originally happened because I didn't have the best vantage point of it. But Barrington Wade's interception at the beginning of the game was a lot harder, a lot more difficult of a catch than I originally thought it was. I thought it was straight to him. He actually leapt up pretty good and had a really solid catch for him. Then obviously he rumbled and tumbled his way up about, I think, 10 to 12 yards. But uh, that was a really a heck of a catch. And I think you put it in your by-the-numbers postgame. Iowa up to 58 interceptions since the start of the 2017 season. Now regains the lead, uh, top in the country uh, since the beginning of the 2017 season. So Phil Parker's team came out ready to play. Iowa's defensive line showed me a whole lot today. I know we kind of touched on this, but someone other than Davion Nixon had to step up. They did it. And we talked about this earlier in the week, Sean. If Iowa could get Rocky Lombardi rattled early, that was going to play a huge factor. And I think there was uh, two quarterback pressures, two or three quarterback pressures, and a, court, a couple quarterback hits on the first drive of the game. And I really do think that that got Rocky uh, a lot more rattled as the game went on. And that lasted throughout the entire game. And mistakes just began to pile up. Yeah, I'm going to continue with my Alaric Jackson um, infatuation today. And I think I'm a Kai Sargent's second or, yeah, second touchdown run in the fourth quarter. When they ran to the weak side, they ran off the tackle. And Cody Ince and Alaric Jackson, I thought Cody Ince did a good job of blocking off his defender and um, not letting him get to the edge. But I thought Alaric Jackson just absolutely manhandled his the guy on the edge. And that was honestly one of my concerns coming into this game was Michigan State's defensive line. I mean, we talked, we talked about it a lot, like after the Michigan game, that that was one of their strong points on their defense. I mean, we talk about the linebackers, Antoine Simmons, how effective he was, and same thing with Harvey, and then their defensive backs while they were young um, showed some promise and are really good athletes. But the defensive line, I mean, they had Noquan Brown, a guy who I know Michigan State's really high on and could be a future NFL guy. They had Jacob Panasek. I believe that's how you say his name. I Don't, don't quote me on that, but he's a guy that also could be an NFL guy, all-conference type level. Um, then they have another couple other guys, too, that really fill out the role. And just Alaric Jackson, just on that drive, I think that kind of summed up the whole game where he just absolutely manhandled him. And just I don't know if he finished the block in terms of putting him on his back, but he definitely won the battle there. And that just, like, made Makai walk into the end zone for a touchdown. So that was one where I kind of felt that, like, hey, this has kind of been the story of the game thus far. Um, but yours definitely apply, too. I thought those were – those were really good ones, but I think the one where Alaric was kind of the one that stuck with me the most. Yeah, and I, I'll say this, too. I think you touched on this earlier in the, the podcast, Sean. But I think this is one of Alaric's best performances since the season opener last year. Remember, he had, the, like you said, the, the injury in the first quarter. Uh, and granted, he's a lot healthier now. And I'm not talking about the vegan diet. I'm talking about just his, his legs. I mean, he's just healthy now. Um, and I, I think he's doing him his NFL stock well. I know he had a little bit of a shaky start to his first game. Uh, but I think he's really come back strong over the past couple weeks. And I think that this was Iowa's offensive line. Was, it, this was their best performance. Uh, you mentioned Cody Ince. I thought he did a great job. Tyler Linderbaum, I mean, he's just a staple in that middle. Mark Kallenberger, I thought, had a really good game. And I think that there's going to be a lot more discussion about what Iowa should go with if Coy Cronk uh, returns healthy here next week or, or come Friday. But, uh, Sean, we kind of dove into this a little bit, but I kind of want to keep exploring this a little bit. Uh, Spencer Petras, I thought, handled himself a lot better today. I think he looked a lot more comfortable. Granted, he was protected a lot better. There were still a couple of throws where you said, okay, he's still putting way too much heat on it. 
And, but he did make some throws I think he'd missed in the past couple of weeks. I thought the throw to Brandon Smith on that touchdown was great. I thought that was an, uh, a fantastic catch by Brandon Smith. It didn't look like it from, again, my vantage point. But that's, again, that's just his freak of nature highlight reel that he continues to add to. But I think for what Iowa's game plan should have been, I thought Spencer Petrus did everything that was asked of him. Because it was fairly obvious, I think, from our, our perspective, Sean, and everyone else's, that Iowa was going to come out this game running the football because Kirk Ferentz, again, last weekend after the game, said they do not want to be a team that throws the ball 50 times and only runs the ball uh, 23 times. They came out. They stuck with the run. It worked out well. They averaged over five yards a carry. And it, it, it basically – the game folded the way that they wanted to. They got stops on defense. They ran the football. And special teams was nearly flawless. Yeah, I mean, offensively, I mean, we touched on it too, like – I think everything that could have went right went right, except for maybe like, hey, you want to go on a couple deep passes um, or like, hey, like I thought maybe there were a couple times that maybe Iowa could have tried to throw it deep, like across the first down marker rather than get a guy coming across the middle and just trying to get him to fight for extra yards um, rather than take a deep shot when you're up by a certain score. But those are minor things I think will come once – Petrus gets more confidence and kind of more trust from the coaching staff. Not saying he doesn't have trust, but it's his first year starting as quarterback. So there's still obviously some things that he really needs to kind of hone in on and focus in on to improve. And I mean, cause a lot goes into a play like that. Like you got to go through your progression. You got to make sure the defender's not there. You got to make sure that you're not about to get sacked. You got to make sure you got to get enough air on the ball. You got to make sure there's no safety coming over the top. Mm-hmm um there's just a lot that goes into it that I mean I think it's a lot harder than people really realize granted I never played quarterback but I mean just watching like as much football as I have um in my life like you kind of pick up on things and you see like there's so much that goes into one play and a lot has to go right for like one play to work so I think that'll come eventually I know Iowa fans have really been looking for that longing for that like hey when are we going to get like a 25 yard gang and not like 20 yards after the catch. Like, when are we going to get like a 25? See, just air it out more than right. two, yeah. three-yard drag and slant routes over the middle. Well, that was even the thing with Stanley, too. It's like, when are we going to see him throw the ball, like, long? I mean, we saw yep. it a couple times um, throughout his career. I mean, he had a couple to Hawkinson. He had, like, a couple to Tyrone Tracy, maybe. Um, and then Brandon Smith and Mir Smith-Marset as well, and Noah Fan at times. Um, but – Still, like, that was something that guys or, like, people really wanted. And, you know, I think that will come eventually with Petrus. I mean, he's got the arm to do it. Does he have the accuracy? That's that's the question right now. But I think just the way the things were clicking today, I thought you couldn't really ask for a better game plan. You couldn't really ask for better execution because Tyler Goodson said it post-game, like, the offensive line did a fantastic job of creating holes. And he knew, like, once the ball was snapped, like, when certain parts of the defense were really going to open up and really going to fold. Because, I mean, he had that zone um, where he got the long run. He said, like, hey, like, I knew that this hole was going to be open. I knew the middle of the field was going to be open as soon as the ball was snapped. And I think that's just what's so impressive about him, too, is just, like, the pre-play vision that he has. Um, and that's another part of the really just the knowing the game and um, what goes into, like, every football play. is like there's so much that goes into every play that you have to be thinking about that before you execute your first step, 
if that makes sense. No, 100%. And I think the way Tyler Goodson carried himself post game shows the mental growth that he's had during the offseason. I mean, he's just a, not, not saying he was a dumb football player by any means, but he's just so much, he's just a much smarter football player this year. And I really think that that's paying off. Um, but again, talking about little nitpicky things here quick, Sean, before we wrap this up, I think Tyler Goodson still should have more than 14 carries. Granted, Iowa stops. Uh, using their starters, what, around the 10-minute mark, I'll say, 9-10 minute mark in the fourth quarter? They play in all um, the freshmen? Yeah, I think it was defense was the first drive that they had, those guys Yes, in. yep. So, again, I think that and, – and here's the thing about Tyler, too. Tyler dropped two of Spencer's incompletions, I remember off the top of my head, were just flat-out drops by Tyler. And I think both of them would have had pretty good games. I think they are both screen plays. But they got to be able to get that one timing of them, right. One of them was a little high, but the other one was a drop. I thought even the one that was a little high, I still think it could have – I still think it was pretty casual, but I, I understand that the placement could have been better. Um, and yeah. someone asked, too, uh, how do you teach Spencer to have more of a touch on those short passes? I think, Sean, feel free to disagree with me. I think it's just going to be a whole comfort thing. I think it's just the game slowing down for Spencer now that he's under center permanently – I think it's going to be just him allowing to get more comfortable in the pocket and really trusting his talent and trusting his receivers and trusting that he knows what the defenses are going to be doing. And I think that once that happens, I think you'll see a little bit more touch on those screen passes or on the throws over the middle. Because again, there were a couple, you know, they did bounce in the turf on the grass, but they still, they still threw it a little bit hard, and they tipped up in the air, and they could have been picked off, but it was just fortunate. I think of the one that was – I think it was off Tyrone Tracy's hands, but it was a heck of a play by Brandon Smith for the heads-up play to go and grab that out of the air because I'll tell you what, if, if Michigan State gets on, gets on that, that's going to be a pick six right on the start. Yeah, no, I <clears> – <throat> for sure. Um, I think part of it too, like you see a guy that wide open – and you're kind of like, okay, like I can just get it to him. Like it's like in baseball when you have the yips. Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying Spencer Peters has the yips, but like it's definitely a fair like comparison in a sense because you see a guy that wide open or you have that much time to hit him, but you're like you're thinking about it too much that you don't just you don't just throw the ball. Like you think about it too much. You're like, okay, like you're just thinking you're just too much in your head about it. I'm not saying that's what Peters is, but – like, that kind of reminds me of that in a sense. No, 100%. I, I, I totally agree with you on that too, Sean. Uh, so, I just want to say before we wrap this up, again, I think this was a much-needed game. And for all the pressure that I think I put on Iowa and a lot of other people put on Iowa, uh, they stepped up when they needed to. And I still think that, you know, as opposed to what some other people might think, I think that there's a lot for this team to play for. They, they play a Minnesota team who's just coming off a win against Illinois – on on friday then they go to penn state and we're living in a world sean where penn state zero and three when they were preseason top 10 team indiana might be a top 10 team and undefeated uh it's just the most 2020 thing possible so Mm -hmm. yeah again i I think with all the rivalries and the winning streak sean i think there's a lot to play for and you know when kirk ferentz and his team need to step up today they did yeah and who knows like Obviously, I think Minnesota's a winnable game. Michigan or Penn State, I think, is winnable now. Um, let me think. Illinois doesn't look very good at all. Um, 
I'm trying to think. Nebraska, obviously, I think could have beaten Northwestern today, but eh. There's gonna that be a QB was, controversy there too, though. Keep that yeah, in mind now. So I think I think that's definitely like I feel a little bit better about that game. Um, and whoever else they played. I mean, Wisconsin, like who knows when they'll play again. Yep. It sounds like based on the their update they had today, I think there are 14 active cases. It does sound like that they're gonna be able to play. And I think that's flat out disappointing. And the reason why I say that, Sean, is because let's say somehow Purdue wins out right and uh wisconsin wins out if wisconsin's undefeated and purdue drops one game wisconsin gets to go even though they never played head-to-head and i think that that's just a really again that was a really mess up bad rule uh by the big 10 conference and i think that they're gonna have a lot of controversy on their hands yeah no i i definitely agree um we'll see what happens these next couple weeks will be really interesting i think this season as a whole, like it just kind of hit me how weird it's going to be like this yeah. week. Cause I looked, cause I saw John Miller posted the big East standings or big 10 East standings. And I was like, Oh my God, like Indiana's three and Oh, obviously Ohio state two and Oh, probably going to be three and Oh today after being Rutgers. You got Maryland who I think is what, are they two and one or one and yeah, two? They're, they're two and one now, two and one. And they beat for as bad state, as like, they looked in the opening week too. But yeah, uh, Tua's so, brother is is tearing it up now. Yeah, like he's starting to get going. Obviously, I mean, Minnesota next week. I mean, um, that's Big Ten West. But, yeah, you get the idea about the Big Ten East. It's just, it's just weird. Like you would have expected this more out of the Big Ten West than the East. Yeah. No, 100%. Uh, but we're going to have a full week of preview, Sean. I know this is the yeah. you know, Floyd-Rosedale battle for it. But, again, I think th- this was a massive win for Iowa. Kirk Ferentz now sits fourth all-time and wins as a Big Ten head coach past Joe Paterno with his 163rd win today. So I guess any final takeaways or final words from you, Sean? Again, I, I, I don't know how much more I have to really add. I need to look at the film. I'll have my report card and my column out tomorrow morning. Uh, but a lot to digest. And again, I think that Iowa uh, responded in a way that I'm not saying I didn't think would happen, but I certainly didn't anticipate them beating Michigan State by 42 points. No, and I don't think anyone did, but, hey, that's Big Ten in the year of 2024, yeah, I guess. No, you're exactly right. Uh, so we'll be back sometime uh, this week. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll do it Wednesday or Thursday, but just be- with the Friday game, I think we're going to oh, have yeah. to push it back a day to give you guys some time to listen before we really uh, dive into it. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening again. Iowa defeats Michigan State. 49 to 7 the most points iowa has ever scored against michigan state iowa snaps a three-game losing streak against the spartans so there's a little bit of uh revenge there and to get back on the right track there and last quick thing i'll say before you early sign off sean mohammed ibrahim is going to be a heck of a matchup the running back from minnesota because he's on a record-setting pace right now this season and iowa's only allowing 2.5 four eight yards per carry this season they've done a tremendous job defending the run which sounds kind of crazy just because of what we saw last week even though the numbers look good but because of northwestern rang the football last week it really felt like they were in control for most of the game yeah next weekend's matchups can be interesting i mean minnesota's had its struggles to start the year but 
I think we talk about their pass game all the time, but I mean, before the season, I had people telling me about how good their rushing attack was going to be. And with Ibrahim having the season that he had has had in the game he's had, I mean, last checked, he had three touchdowns against Illinois um, in the third quarter. So he's going to be a problem. He's going to be, he's definitely, that's definitely going to be an interesting matchup and one to know going into Friday. I'm excited to break it all down later this week. And you got David Bell 2.0 and Rashad Bateman. I mean, well, I mean, no Rashad Bateman. Either. Rashad Bateman is. I think David Bell is more so Rashad Bateman 2.0. Just saying. Honestly, it, it, I know. It I know. Gopher fans crazy. will love that. Yeah, yeah. No, that'll that'll be a soundbite. But here's the thing, Sean. I I'm giving Bateman the edge just because he's a slated top 20 draft pick. But I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I disagree with you because I, you know, I've been on the David Bell five-star bandwagon since he was in high school. I thought he was one of the most complete receivers in his draft class, and he's lived up to every expectation that uh, the Boilermaker fans could have had about him. Uh, but again, for Sean Bach, David Eichel, uh, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of the Swarmcast, be sure to follow us on Twitter at sbach 247 at David Eichel, D-A-V-I-D-E-I-C-K-H-O-L-T. And stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for the latest, greatest, and most in-depth coverage of your Iowa Hawkeyes. We'll talk to you later this week to break down all things Iowa. Talk about Fran McCaffrey press conference that comes up on Monday, as well as preview Iowa and Minnesota for the Floyd Bros. Until then, take care.